0: Okay, so let's hold our Bibles up. Let's make this confession together. I thank you, Father, that your word has the power to change my life. Today, I give heed to it. I allow it to go into my ears, then into my mind, and then into my spirit. I'm a hearer of the word and a doer of the word, and I'll never be the same. After today, in Jesus' name, amen you may be seated a little bit of a review here all divine guidance is processed in our inner being or our inner man and uh, i had you repeat something a while ago i'm going to have you repeat again everybody say "I i am not a lazy christian See, we want just a piece of information. What piece of information can I get? Where can I get some guidance to help me decide where to go or what to do or what decision to make? Somebody help me make a decision about where to work or what career to pursue or who to marry or what neighborhood to live in. And we we want other people to feed us one small piece of information that's going to give us some semblance of guidance as to what we're supposed to do. But all divine guidance, first of all, is processed inside. Ephesians 3.16 says that God would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in your inner man. The inner man, the inner part of ourself, is where we need to process the will, plan, and purpose of God. Uh, Romans 12.2, we looked at that. Romans 8.14, we looked at that. All about the inner man. Now... Determining the will and plan of God, uh, continuing our review just for a moment, is all about alignment. Everybody say alignment. Alignment Alignment is everything when it comes to determining the will, plan, and purpose of God. It's not just one piece of information, which is how we've been conditioned. We're conditioned to maybe if we can hear God, or maybe if we can talk to a counselor, or maybe if we just have peace in our heart about doing something, then, uh, then we will know what Uh, direction God wants us to go when actually determining the will of God is all about alignment. And we used the analogy when we first started, we used the analogy of hunting. It's all hunting season. I want you to know I was really disappointed when I asked for a show of hands of how many hunters we had. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands again. That was embarrassing. But you know, about hunters, this is, uh, um, this is hunting season. And whenever you're going hunting and you want to know when to pull the trigger, when to pull the trigger has everything to do with alignment. It's not just an event, it's alignment. Just because you have a gun doesn't mean you should pull the trigger. The gun has a scope. The scope has crosshairs. Then you have a target. And so you align your eye with the scope, with the crosshairs, with the target. And once you have all of those in alignment and you're moving the gun around, you're not going to pull the trigger until you've got all those in alignment and you go, oh, there it is right there. Now you know it's time to pull the trigger when all of those are in alignment. It's the same thing with the will of God. There are five areas that need to be in alignment for you to know that it's time to pull the trigger on what you had perceived was the will of God. And those five areas of alignment are the word, your desires, the leading of the Holy Spirit, counselors, and the peace of God. There's a lot more to divine guidance than getting just a piece of information, just having your palm read or having somebody tell you what to do. Everybody say this. I am not not a lazy Christian. Christian. Lazy Christians, Christians just somebody just tell me what to do. Somebody, God, give me a sign. You don't need a sign. You need five signs. God, just somebody give me a sign. No, you need five of them. The word, your desires, the leading of the Holy Spirit, counselors, and the peace of God. That's what it takes to determine the will, plan, and purpose of God. So we began our journey uh, of me teaching you about the plan and purpose of God by talking about, first of all, the word, and second of all, talking about your desires. Talking about your desires. And Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, God is working in you to help you to want to do and be able to do what pleases him. So we first of all have the word, second of all our desires, what God has placed in us that we want to do. So then last week we began on our journey, as I've referred to this as a journey, it is a journey discovering the will of God. The third thing is talking about the leading of the Holy Spirit and I want to continue talking about that today, the leading of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16 verse 13, we uh, started there. Uh, last week in talking about the leading of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth and he will show us things to come. So the leading of the Holy Spirit is the third in a series of five things that need to be aligned. The leading of the Holy Spirit. And I want to say this, uh, as important as the leading of the Holy Spirit is, and this is going to freak some of you out, but I want you to pay attention. It doesn't even stand on its own. Some people, well, I feel like I, I just feel like the Holy Spirit's leading me to do this. That's great. There are four other areas that you need to align with that to know when the time is right or if the time is even right. It's not just I feel led by the Spirit. That's an important part of it. I'm going to try to minimize the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm saying that's a part of determining the will of God. Last week, we talked about allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to make room for that. Don't force or demand or even seek a voice in your prayer closet because you'll hear one. Right or wrong, you'll hear a voice if you seek that. But John chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, we talked about the three voices. We talked about the voice of God, the voice of the devil, and then there was a third voice. Who remembers what that is? The voice of the stranger. And Jesus said we run from the voice of the stranger. So if you missed any of that last week, be sure and go on demand and uh, on our website or on your mobile app and listen to that message. Today, I want to continue talking about the leading of the Holy Spirit. We've already talked about the leading of the Holy Spirit in your prayer closet, the leading of the Holy Spirit individually as a believer, and so now I want to teach you about the uh, about the will of God and the gifts of the Spirit, and what the gifts of the Spirit have to do with the, determining the will of God. Uh, there are three lists of gifts of the Spirit in the Bible. There, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5 has a list of gifts that we call the ministry gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These are basically the five full-time ministry gifts in the body of Christ that God uses to speak into the church and to give the church direction. And the, and actually Ephesians 5 says that it's the responsibility of the five um, the five ministry gifts to grow the church up to maturity. Then there is a list of great gifts in Romans chapter 12 verses six through eight. Romans chapter 12 verses six through eight. Um, and it talks about, these are motivational, what we call motivational gifts. These are gifts that you have. Everybody possesses at least one, sometimes two dominant motivational gifts. Romans 12, six through eight, those motivational gifts, it says having then gifts. It begins by saying having then gifts, which means these are gifts that you have. You possess these. You have it today. You had it yesterday. You'll have it tomorrow. You'll have it next year. Same gifts. And it says, having been gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If perception, then let us operate in perception and proportion to our faith. Or ministry or serving, let us use it in our serving. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So it, it talks about the seven motivational gifts there. Each of you has at least one of these. And that is perception, serving, Teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, and mercy. Now, I'm not, I don't have time to go into a big teaching on the motivational gifts, but um, there is, uh, I'm getting ready to release, I'm really excited about this. I worked on this for three years, and I'm getting ready to release a discipleship series that goes into the different steps, different levels of maturity and spiritual growth. It's called the Spiritual Growth Series. Uh, you're going to love this, but... In there, it has an in-depth study on all three of these groups of gifts, on the ministry gifts and the motivational gifts. But if you want a a short treatise on the motivational gifts and want to know which motivational gift you have, then at the end of the service, you can go out here to the Connect desk and tell them you want a copy of the motivational gift test. And they have uh, that. In print, they'll give you a copy of it, you take it, and you put your results, you enter your results in online, and it will give you your motivational gifts and tell you a little bit about those. So if you're interested in that, just go to the Connect desk at the end of the message. Uh, It's it's actually called a shape test. It has the motivational gifts and some other information as well. It's a lot of fun. Um, But I want to talk with you uh, more about the manifestation gifts in Romans, or in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It tells us about manifestation gifts. Again, this is not a message or a teaching about the gifts of the Spirit. This is a teaching about divine guidance, how to know what God wants you to do. But in the third area, the first one was the Word. The second one was your desires. The third one is the leading of the Holy Spirit. And in determining the leading of the Holy Spirit, we also have to see how the gifts of the Spirit come into play. How God uses the gifts of the Spirit in our lives. Um, in, um, first Corinthians chapter 12, I think I may have Mark 16 up there. No, I don't think I do. Uh, so in first Corinthians chapter 12, verse seven. It lists the manifestation gifts. Now the reason we call these manifestation gifts is because this list of gifts begins with the word manifestation. It says the manifestation of these gifts is given. So these are not gifts that you have. The motivational gifts, is everybody still with me? Have I lost anybody? Okay, I see a lot of people out in the congregation fanning themselves, so apparently it's warm out there, which is music to my ears because I'm warm too. So. Uh, but uh, if we can fix that. The manifestation gifts are gifts that we receive the manifestation. They're not gifts that we actually possess. The motivational gifts, each person has one. The gifts of perception, the gift of mercy, the gift of serving. Each one of you has one or two of those. These gifts, we get the manifestation of, and in verse 7 it says, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So these gifts are primarily the tools of the trade of the ministry gifts, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I happen to be a pastor who teaches. There are apostolic pastors, evangelistic pastors, prophetic pastors, pastoral pastors. Then there are teaching pastors, which is my particular role is as a teaching pastor. And these gifts that we're about to, To look at here are primarily the tools of the trade of the ministry gifts, but not always. They can also, the Bible says that this manifestation can happen in the congregation as the Holy Spirit wills. The Holy Spirit decides who gets the manifestation, but these are not gifts that you want. Let's look at them first and I'll explain. It says, verse seven, the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same spirit. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one of the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So these are not gifts that you possess. These are not gifts. Someone has the gift. I have the gift of healing. I have the gift of giving messages and tongues to a congregation. I have, I possess the gift of interpreting tongues. Uh, no, uh, I have the gift of miracles. No, these are gifts that the Holy Spirit manifests in the congregation as he wants to. So you may get it one, one time, you may get it another time. Uh, primarily the ministry gifts receive that now that's not to say that there aren't individuals who seem to operate in these more than other people and that's because sometimes they're kind of open to that they kind of have some experience with that and the holy spirit may go back to a person it may appear as though they have that gift they don't have the gift it's just that they're open to it know how to operate in it and when the holy spirit wants to use that manifestation in a congregation he will go back to that person two or three times does that make sense who's lost Who's bored? Y'all just okay. All right, you're with me. All right. Connie says, "Honey, when the congregation's quiet, they're thinking. Don't harass them." All right. So (laughs) I just like to know I haven't lost anybody. Uh, Last week we had a very interesting thing happen, and I want to explain that and use that as a teachable moment with the congregation. I did not know it was going to happen. Didn't I? Wasn't expecting it, uh, but. Uh, during the worship part of the service, I came up on the platform and as soon as I did, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, I want you to give a message in tongues. And Laura Tapp has the interpretation. So uh, I told Heather, how many of you were here and saw this, what I'm talking about? Yeah. And so I told Heather, give Laura the microphone. Laura, would you come up here? Laura looked as freaked out as I did. Like, what are we doing? Why am I up there? And so Laura came up here. I gave a message in tongues. And Laura then interpreted that message in tongues. And this was a a manifestation of the Spirit. And and listen, it's fine. As long as it's done decently and in order. uh, There are some people that teach that the gifts of the Spirit have passed away with the age of the apostles, which is just absolutely ridiculous teaching. There's not a shred of scriptural evidence for that. It's just people making excuses for their own lack of spirituality. Uh, there, um, just because I, just because I can't operate in something and I don't know how it works does not mean that I take the Bible and try to proof text it and make it say, well, we don't need that anymore. Um, so that happened last week and, uh, I found, let me, let me share something. you. I found that new people, a lot of people are freaked out about the gifts of the spirit and new people. What happens if there's new people? What if there was new people? What are the new people going to think? Listen, here's what, and I tweeted this this morning, for those of you who follow me. New people are generally not freaked out by the supernatural in a church service. They're freaked out by a church service that looks like a circus or looks fake. If it's fake, then yeah, new people are creeped out by it. How many of you have been to a church service that looks like a circus? Anybody ever been to that church service? Yeah, they're freaked out by that. I'm freaked out by that, and I've been to church for a long time. But church. But whenever these things are done decently and in order, then people are not freaked out about it, even if they don't particularly understand it. In fact, somebody came up to me this, this morning. We were talking about this whole thing, and they mentioned to me that they said, the first time I came to this church, which was years and years ago, first time I came to this church, there was a message in tongues and interpretation. And they said, here's what they said to me. I'd never heard that before. I'd heard of it but I'd never seen it. And they said, I didn't understand it, but I could tell the presence of God was here. That's what I'm talking about. Not everybody's going to understand it. That's why I'm doing this explanation. Not everybody understood what happened last week. And so that's why I'm giving you this explanation. Um, and, and also I want to take this opportunity to talk about why we restructured the worship service. I've had Fifty-eleven people ask me, why have we changed everything up? We do a song, and then you preach, and then after that they come back up and do worship. Why do we do that? Well, I've been praying for a number of weeks because in Mark chapter 16, verse 20, the Bible says that God worked through the disciples and confirmed his word with the signs that followed it. We're talking about the gifts of the Spirit. We're talking about the supernatural. God confirmed his word with the signs that followed it. And so I've been praying about that for weeks. God, I want to see you confirm your word with the signs that follow it. And as I was praying about that, the Holy Spirit just brought something to mind. How that we create the atmosphere for God to move during the praise and worship service, but the word hasn't been ministered yet. So then we minister the word and so then it's time for signs to follow the word except we go home. So I just thought to myself, what if we just open with a song, but what if we did most of the worship after the word and created that margin for the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do? I don't know any other church in the world. There probably is one, but I don't know any other church in the world that does this. This was born out of my own prayer time. And I didn't really have a word from God to do this. I just thought, let's try this, see what happens. And so we kind of moved some things around. Let's put tithes and offerings here. No, that was a little awkward. Let's put it there. Let's do this. Why don't we sing this here? And it's beginning to feel like a flow. I had somebody ask me yesterday, so how long are we going to do this? Till it stops working. Which may not be ever. Because it's, 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 uh, it's just got a completely different feel and there's margin and there's margin for the Holy Spirit to move after the word. Um, The Holy Spirit, and this is, and this is more for us than it is the Holy Spirit because the services have always belonged to the Holy Spirit. We've always prayed and said, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do. We haven't told the Holy Spirit well, you can't have a message in tongues during a worship service we can't have a prophecy or we can't have, we've never done that. It's just, it, so the change around is not for him, it's for us. To create that margin where we can flow with what the Holy Spirit's doing. Does that make sense to anybody? And uh, what are newcomers going to think? I, I think newcomers that are looking for a show are going to be freaked out. I think newcomers that are looking for the presence of God are going to find it refreshing. Newcomers don't come to church because they have nothing else to do. Newcomers come to church because they're looking for God. And by the way, I really don't think that the supernatural freaks out newcomers nearly as much as people think it does. Because look at all of the horror films that we just got through in October. I mean, they were freaked out by the supernatural. They wouldn't be going to those in droves. So I don't think the, the only people that are, the only people that are freaked out by the supernatural are religious church people, but the only people who are freaked out by the supernatural. Everybody else is good with it. I'm not so concerned about turning people off. I'm concerned about turning people on to the presence and power of God. New, newcomers are not freaked out by the supernatural in church. They're freaked out by a church service that looks fake or looks like a circus. And so we're not going to manufacture what, just because we had a message in tongues interpretation last Sunday. And then also uh, I had a, um, a word of knowledge for our keyboard player, Nicole, and, uh, and gave that to her as well. And so like, it's not like this Sunday now we have to do that again. We don't have to do anything that the Holy Spirit's not doing. He's going to speak to me. He's going to speak to the other pastors, the other leaders, and we're, and we're going to determine. And he, he doesn't have to do anything he doesn't want to do. So we're, we're interested in following him. Amen. I'm not going to get put in a box as a pastor to perform for everybody. That's when you get into error. That's when, that's when the fake stuff starts happening is when the leaders start feeling like they have to perform and how come we haven't had a, haven't had a prophecy in a while Well, it ain't up to me. So here in first Corinthians chapter 12, again, we're talking about divine guidance how to know what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Holy Spirit uses the gifts of the Spirit to relate what He wants to do. It's one out of the five things that needs to come into alignment. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talked about the, um, the word of knowledge, uh, it talked about the word of wisdom, and it talks about prophecy, uh, discerning spirit. So it talks about different gifts of the Spirit. And how those all operate. Now a prophecy, the word prophecy means to speak for God. That God is revealing his will and plan, his purpose to someone. And then someone is speaking that out. So then you notice it begins here with the word of wisdom. A word of wisdom is knowing what to do with the word of knowledge that you have. So we're we're talking about word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and prophecy. Prophecy. so word of knowledge let's start with that word of knowledge is knowing something about a person or a situation that you wouldn't ordinarily know in the natural god just shows you something that you just happen to know down in your knower and then the word of wisdom is knowing what to do with the word of knowledge that you got because sometimes people want to blurt out everything they know (coughs) guess what god told me about you charlene Guess what God told me about you. Guess what. Guess what God said. We want to impress people with that. But sometimes the Holy Spirit gives people a word of knowledge about someone or about a situation, and our responsibility then is to pray, because God's dealing them. I mean, I mentioned Charlene just a moment ago because you you got that bright red sweatshirt on. It's really easy to see you, and. Uh, So what if God gave me a word of knowledge for Charlene and I knew something about Charlene that I couldn't ordinarily know in the natural, but God then is dealing with Charlene in her heart. He doesn't want me to mess it up by telling her. Maybe God's doing something there and and I'm not supposed to say anything. I'm just supposed to pray for her. So when you get a word of knowledge, the next step to that is to ask the Holy Spirit, what do I do with this? And he tells you, he'll lead you in what to say, what not to say, if you say anything. There are plenty of times the Holy Spirit will give me a word of knowledge, but I don't just blurt it out. I don't just because I may know something about you. Don't get spooked out. I don't, I don't, I'm not a prophet. But um, or the Holy Spirit may show you something. These gifts operate as the Holy Spirit wills. And he may show you something supernatural, supernaturally about someone else. But that doesn't mean you just go up to them and say, hey, God told me something about you. We need to pray for a word of wisdom and ask the Holy Spirit what we're supposed to do with that. So word of knowledge, knowing something you wouldn't ordinarily know that you know supernaturally. Word of wisdom, what you do, what you, uh, knowing what to do with that word of wisdom that you have. And then prophecy is when you speak a word of knowledge out. That's when it becomes a prophecy. And so as I was here, um, after we gave that message in tongues and interpretation, then the Holy Spirit gave me a piece of information for Nicole and told me to give it to her in front of everybody. And so I did. And these gifts are not directional. These prophetic gifts are not directional. They're different than the Old Testament gifts. Last week, we looked at the gifts in the Old Testament, the ways that people got divine guidance, and one of them was through the prophets. But in the Old Testament, only prophets had the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, once Jesus died, was resurrected, he ascended into heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit to all of us. So now, those of us who are believers, those of us who are walking with God, we all have the Holy Spirit. And because we have the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to be led by the Holy Spirit, to know the will of God. But in the Old Testament, only the prophets had the Holy Spirit. And so people would go to the prophet to be able to get information, be able to get leading from God. So in New Testament times, prophecies are not directional, they're confirmational. They're not directional. It's confirmational. So if, if uh, and we have prophetic ministries, I'll talk about that in a moment, that, that, uh, that come here from time to time. And just because a prophet speaks to you and says, uh, uh, says Isaac, stand up. You don't have to, but Isaac, stand up. The Lord shows me that, um, that you and your wife are going to move to Puerto Rico. Um, don't pack your bags. No, don't do it. It's one out of the five areas that God will use to confirm his will to you. And a prophecy is supposed to be confirmational of what God has already been speaking to you because you have the Holy Spirit. And I've seen so many lives screwed up because some prophet blew through town and said, Craig, God wants you to quit your job and he wants you to move to Seattle. And I've seen so many people, I've seen people do exactly that. The next morning, they're packed, and they got a plane ticket. Don't do it. First of all, uh, the Old Testament gift of prophecy was directional. The New Testament gift of prophecy is confirmational. Second of all, the Old Testament gift of prophecy was oftentimes judgmental. How many of you know that God is a holy, righteous God? And sin cannot dwell in his presence, and any anger or wrath that God has towards sin is justified. And in the Old Testament times, prophets would reveal the wrath of God and uh, and pronounce judgment on nations and judgment upon people. But something interesting happened in the New Testament. When Jesus died on the cross, Jesus took the wrath of God on the cross so that we could experience his goodness and his mercy and his grace. How about 1 John chapter 4, verse 10? It says, in this is love. Now, everybody listen to me. Everybody look here. Don't read. I want you to listen. This is important. You need to know this. 1 John 4, 10 in the Amplified Bible. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation That is the atoning sacrifice and the satisfying offering for our sins, fulfilling God's requirement for justice against sin and placating his wrath. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus on the cross so that we could experience his goodness and his mercy. So when you hear people saying, well, you know, that hurricane came through and, and uh, because that's the judgment of God on the United States. No, Jesus took the judgment of God on the cross. And if enough Christians had, had stood up and spoken to that storm and commanded it to go back to sea, it would have never gotten here anyhow. How do I know that? Jesus calmed the storm. He showed us how to do that on the Sea of Galilee. The storm came up. A lot of times, we, uh, you know, insurance companies will tell you that's an act of God. If it's an act of God. Then how come Jesus is in the stern of the boat, commanded the storm to stop? It's an act of his father. Y'all okay? All right, so this is why we need to get the gospel out. We need to get the gospel out. We need to, whenever we have an opportunity for outreach, you need to drop what you're doing and you need to become a part of that outreach, the medical clinic, whatever it is, we need to take every opportunity in our community and across the world to show people that God is a good God and God loves them. He's not the mad God, the bad God, the God that hates them, the God of wrath that's going to destroy them. He's the God that loves them. Jesus took and what we need to preach to people and people need to experience is that God that uh, Jesus took the wrath of his father on the cross so that we could experience his love and forgiveness. People need that message. And there aren't enough churches that are preaching that message. Plenty of churches preaching about, you know, if you don't do everything exactly right, God's going to squash you like a bug. And you're all destined for hell i got better news than that, and that is if you will make a decision to follow Christ and make Jesus your Savior and receive the power of the Holy Spirit, heaven can be your home. And listen, that is the love of God can pour forth into your heart, the Bible says, by the Holy Spirit. Now, prophecy, and here's another one. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, verse 3. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. Says, but he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort for men. He who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. So this is the New Testament ministry of prophecy is different than the Old Testament ministry of prophecy. One time we were... Connie and I were in a home prayer meeting and we were praying and we had been worshiping for a while and singing and we stopped and we got real quiet. And a, and a lady said, I believe I have a word from the Lord. And we said, Okay, give it. So she got quiet and she closed. I, I can see this. This happened over 25 years ago and I can see it like it was yesterday. She closed her eyes. She put her hands out like this and she said, I feel death here. It felt creepy. And the Bible says that prophecy is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. How many of you know that we did not feel exhorted, (laughs) edified, or comforted by that word from God? In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15 it talks about how tongues and interpretation equal prophecy, and uh, so what happened? You know, prophecy—the difference—and I don't want to get into a big teaching about the gifts of the Spirit here. That's that's all going to be on the spiritual growth series that comes out in just a few weeks. Uh, and I don't have time for that, but prophecy is when you speak for God, when you know something, you have a, a word of knowledge and the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you speak it out. Um, if a person has a message in tongues and somebody else interprets it and they speak it, that's equal to prophecy because it's still the, uh, the plan and purpose of God that's being revealed. And there's so much more teaching that goes through that and I don't want to muddy the water here. I want to keep us online with um, divine guidance, how to know the, the purpose and plan of God um in Acts chapter 13, I want you to go with me to Acts chapter 13, please. And uh, we'll wrap this up here. Acts chapter 13. When you have it, say, I have it. You brought your Bibles, didn't you? Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with the Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who became later became Paul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted, and the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul, who will become become Paul, for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid, laying their hands on them, they sent them away. So here we have people that are fasting and praying and seeking the Lord, and the Holy Spirit speaks to them uh, uh, The Holy Spirit speaks to them about the direction he wants for Barnabas and, and Saul who becomes Paul. Let's talk about that for a second. First of all, the Holy Spirit spoke to the spiritual leaders there, not to Barney and Paul. I believe that Barnabas and Paul already knew what the Holy Spirit wanted them to do. If we take the whole counsel of God together and we look at what the Bible teaches about divine guidance, then we know that Barnabas and Paul already knew. They already had an inkling that the Holy Spirit was going to send them out. But the Bible doesn't record that. Now I'm speculating. If you don't if you don't believe that, I won't come to fisticuffs over you. But uh, over that but um, but I believe that they that this was a confirmational prophecy to them, but whether it was or it wasn't, the Holy Spirit spoke to the leaders, to the church leaders about this direction, this change of direction of ministry for Barney and Paul and uh, this is really an important part. We're going to talk about this when we talk about counselors and getting confirmation and getting advice from counselors. I know before Connie and I moved here, I went to our pastor and I laid out what I felt in our, my heart what I felt like was the direction that the Holy Spirit had for my wife and I and what he wanted us to do. But I said this to him, I'm depending on you to receive confirmation of what God's speaking to us. So I'm not going to harass you about, have you heard from God? Have you heard from God? I'm telling you, we believe that God wants us to go pastor a church. And so I'm going to leave that with you. And when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you can let us know. Otherwise, we're going to stay here and we're going to serve faithfully. We're going to serve you and serve the ministry here. So it wasn't long after that till he came and he said, well, the Lord's been speaking the same thing to me. And then it's a long story about how the door opened up for us to come here. But I laid that down at the feet of the man of God that Connie and I were serving with for confirmation from him to hear the Lord. So here we see that these prophets and teachers, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. Second of all, it says after the Holy Spirit spoke to them, watch this. It says then they fasted and prayed some more along with Barnabas and Paul for confirmation before they sent him out. You know what this tells me? They weren't in a in a hurry. And they didn't have a fear of missing God. That's one of the biggest tools of Satan in your life when it comes to determining the will of God is, if you don't move now, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. wants to get us in a rush. Now, you can miss the timing of God. God can open a door and you wait wait and wait and wait and wait until you miss it. But I've seen even more often than that, I've seen people get what they believe is a word from God or they've got a piece or somebody told them something or whatever. And I mean, they got to move like right now. I gotta, I've got to do this now. I've got to do this now. And these guys were not in a hurry because they knew that this had big consequences. So don't get in a hurry in determining the plan and purpose of God. The leading of the Holy Spirit whether by the gifts of the Spirit or by your, in your prayer closet, is to come into alignment with the other four elements in, termi- in determining the will of God. The Word, your desires, counselors, and the peace of God. And the next time that I teach on this, I'm going to teach on these last two. I'm going to teach on how counselors and how the peace of God, how God uses those to help us come into alignment to know His will. And then the most important part of this series, the part I'm most excited about, is teaching you about how to use these five things to bring them into alignment to determine what the will of God is. You don't just have, how many of you know just because you have a target and you have a scope, on your rifle, you you don't just pull the trigger. How many of you know you have to start somewhere? When you're starting your rifle alignment, you start with what? Who knows what you start with? This is not a trick question. You start with your eye. You don't start with a target. You take your eye and then what do you do? Come on, it's not a trick question. You do what next? You look through the scope and you look through the scope. What do you do next? You line up the crosshairs. Once you line up the crosshairs, what do you do next? You look at the target. So they're in an order. And once those things come and you got to start with one. And once you start with one, you go to the next one and the next one. And listen, this is not rocket science. It's just knowing how to do it. Lining a, a rifle up to a target is not rocket science. It's just knowing how, to oh, you, you do that first. And it's, and it's real simple. And so I'm excited about teaching you how all of this, once you, once, you deter, once you understand how the Word of God, your desires, the leading of the Holy Spirit, the counselors, and the peace of God all work, then I'm most excited about teaching you how to align those five things to be able to hit the target every single time with the will, plan, and purpose of God. Anybody else interested in this? Would you stand up with me? Are you learning anything from this series? Good. Good. Well, just say this after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to learn about your plan, your purpose for my life. In the name of Jesus, I declare that your will and plan are clear to me. I know exactly what to do in every situation. Thank you that you're not hiding your will from me, but you're revealing it to me. And as you reveal it to me, I'll walk through every opportunity, every single time in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody just lift your hands for a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. You're so awesome.